The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. You're listening to the VPM Daily Newscast, a recap of today's top stories in Central Virginia. From the VPM Newsroom in Richmond, I'm Benjamin Dolly. Today marks 65 years since Virginia Governor Harry F. Byrd called for, quote, massive resistance to integrating schools. Five years earlier, a 16-year-old black girl from Farmville challenged inequality in her school. VPM News intern Joy Bass has more. In April of 1951, Barbara John stood in the auditorium of Robert Russ Moton High School to tell her classmates they were going on strike. Students recognized that they deserved better if their teachers had access to better resources, their experience would be that much greater. That's Cameron Patterson, the executive director of the Moton Museum, which is in the former high school. He says overcrowding and poor conditions became students' top concerns. Since John's death in 1991, she has received many honors, and she will be memorialized in the U.S. Capitol. Those who represent you in the Hall of Democracy, they should represent the values that you aspire towards as a state, and I think Barbara does that. John's will replace the statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee, which was removed last December. Joy Bass, VPM News. Starting next week, some pandemic-related restrictions will be eased across the Commonwealth. Governor Ralph Northam announced the changes yesterday, highlighting that COVID-19 cases are decreasing statewide and more residents are getting vaccinated. Private indoor gatherings will still be limited to 10 people, but outdoor gatherings will increase to 25. Capacity for outdoor entertainment and public amusement venues will also be increased, and alcohol sales extended until midnight. The governor also plans to lift the statewide curfew. These updated COVID-19 guidelines will begin next Monday, March 1st. On Wednesday, the FDA found that a new COVID-19 vaccine that only requires one dose is effective. If it's approved, Governor Ralph Northam says Virginia could get its hands on it as soon as next week. Alan Rodriguez-Espinoza reports. Governor Ralph Northam says the new Johnson & Johnson vaccine could be coming to Virginia soon. If authorized, he says it would increase the state's supply by about 50,000 doses per week. Unlike the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which require two doses about one month apart, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is only one shot. Northam says all three are safe and effective. People ask me, what's the best one to get? Well, I would sum that up by saying the best vaccine is the one you get. About one and a half million doses have been administered in the Commonwealth since December. The pharmacy chain CVS is currently giving out 52,000 shots per week in Virginia as part of a federal partnership program. This week, Walgreens and several grocery stores will join those efforts. Alan Rodriguez Espinosa, VPM News. Lawmakers are working out differences between two bills that would finance electric school bus programs. Dominion Energy has 50 buses in use or planned through such programs. The Senate's bill could allow them to bring in up to 1,000. The bill would also let the utility use school buses when not driving as backup batteries to the power grid. The Senate's bill sends costs to Dominion ratepayers. The House's language uses taxes, writing the utility out of the program. A final version will likely be decided on this week. 
A Senate bill that would require all Virginia school districts to offer in-person learning was heavily amended in the House on Wednesday. Patrick Larson reports that the bill, if unchanged, would take effect in the summer. Republican Senator Siobhan Donovan worked with Democrats to get the bill through that chamber. Republicans have pushed for an emergency clause, meaning schools would have to start offering in-person learning immediately. They say the learning and emotional costs of virtual school have been too much to bear. Democrats have repeatedly rejected this in favor of giving schools more time to prepare. House Democrats added paragraphs of clarification to the bill. It now requires school districts to follow CDC guidelines when possible and allow schools to go back to virtual learning if there's a COVID-19 outbreak. Those changes now go back to the Senate to be voted on. Patrick Larson, VPM News. The Chesterfield School Board is expected to vote tonight on next year's proposed budget. A big chunk of the superintendent's almost $760 million budget is devoted to substantial raises for teachers, which he says will bring salaries in line with national averages. Earlier this week, the Board of Supervisors agreed to transfer additional money from the general fund to pay for the increases. Tonight's meeting starts at 6.30 and will be streamed on the district's website and YouTube channel. Virginia Republicans will choose their next nominee for governor using a drive-in convention at Liberty University on May 8th. The decision by their top committee earlier this week ends months of intra-party fighting over their nomination method. Convention goers will assemble in parking lots at the school in Lynchburg. They'll use ranked choice voting to pick nominees for governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. Backers of a state-run primary argued it would have allowed more voters to participate. Over the course of the pandemic, our understanding of COVID-19 has evolved as researchers have studied it more and learned how it transmits. Dr. Lindsay Marr, the Charles P. Lunsford Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Virginia Tech, has been studying the virus. Dr. Marr, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Early on in the pandemic, some experts started talking about a risk budget or how much risk people can take based on their susceptibility. How would you describe that? I would think of it as you can have a certain amount of exposure to the virus, and once you've used that up, then you should not continue to do further activities. So maybe you can choose, okay, I'm going to the grocery store, but I'm not going to get together with my friend outside. Or maybe you can do both if you have a higher risk budget. As an example, what would a daily risk budget look like for somebody who had been vaccinated versus somebody who had not yet gotten vaccinated? Well, in the first case, you know, you're young, you're healthy, you're vaccinated. That's a, that person is very unlikely to have a severe case of COVID where they have to be hospitalized and experience severe symptoms. So that person's budget would be higher than compared to the other person who's unvaccinated, older, and so we're talking about different activities. Now, at the same time, we don't know for sure whether that vaccinated person can still spread the virus. It's probably less likely, but that person still needs to be careful that even though they themselves are not getting sick, that they're not spreading it to other people. Right now, what types of activities do scientists consider high risk and which ones are considered a lower risk? High risk involves any type of activity where you're gathering indoors with a lot of people and without masks. Things like going to a restaurant and eating indoors or having a gathering at your house. Uh, those would be high-risk activities. Um, there are certain workplaces also that are high-risk, uh, places like meatpacking plants and prisons. We know where there's people working together closely um, indoors. And what are some things people should take into consideration either on their own or with their family and friends when determining whether or not an activity is worth taking that risk? Well, we know for certain that there's several things that we can do to reduce the risk, and that includes wearing a mask, especially if it's a good mask, 
um, avoiding crowds. If you are indoors with other people, crack a window or door to keep the air moving through there and prevent any virus from building up. You and many other scientists at the CDC have begun suggesting that people wear two masks when they go out. What makes double masking better, and how does double masking compare to something like, say, an N95? Well, if you have access to an N95, that's going to give you the best protection. If you don't, then other strategies, such as double masking, where you wear a surgical-type mask first, and then you put a tight-fitting cloth mask on top of that, can get you up near to N95 type of protection. But the main thing is that you want a mask that fits well without gaps around the nose or the cheeks, that has some kind of fabric or filter material that can block small aerosols that contain the virus, and something that's easily breathable. So there there reaches a point of diminishing returns where if you have too many layers in your mask and it's hard to breathe through, one, you won't want to wear it, and secondly, it'd be easier for air to leak in around the sides. If you're going into a higher-risk situation indoors with lots of people, you're going grocery shopping, or if you're on public transit, that would be the time to double mask or wear your best mask. Now, if you're outdoors with other people or you're in an uncrowded indoor environment, then you can think about wearing something that maybe is more comfortable that you can wear for longer periods of time. All right. Well, thank you for speaking with me today. Thanks so much for having me. Once again, we were speaking with Dr. Lindsay Marr from Virginia Tech. This is VPM News. This newscast was recorded on Wednesday, February 24th at 6 p.m. Some of these stories may have changed from the time you've heard them. You can stay connected to what matters by heading to vpm.org news or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at MyVPM. VPM. There are so many issues playing out in RVA. I mean, pretty much anyone will tell you. There's definitely a lot of poverty. Finding affordable housing. Traffic, public transportation. Climate change and heat islands. Trying to find childcare in Richmond area. I'm Rich Marr, host of a new VPM podcast called RVA's Got Issues. Listen to the podcast starting May 22nd. Do you have issues with RVA? Haven't found out yet. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> 